1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 287, recorded July 8th, 2018.
0: So today we're reviewing New Visions by John Byrne, uh, issues number 4 and 5.
1: Yes. um, Always impressive, these photo montages Byrne puts together. Although I gotta say, both books are really long and each have two stories. Right. Right. Yeah,
0: and I love reading them because it's like it, – it makes you feel like you're watching an episode because you're seeing sets that look like they could have existed back in the 60s. You're seeing the actors as they looked like in the 60s, right? Yeah. So I love it, but for whatever reason, I had a hard time with these, uh, especially the second story, just, uh, it's just like getting into it. It's just like I never felt invested in, in the story at all. Wow. So I don't know if you felt that way, but. I was a little disappointed in, in in these books, but visually and just the concept of them, I, I still
1: love. Even oh yeah, though, uh, I,
0: I might not have I, liked this book.
1: I think visually, how he put all this together and how he continues to do this, I think is just great. Uh, th- there are just very few spots where I go, "Ooh, that panel is schlocky." Um, I mean he he does a great job visually. Uh, it's just the, the stories are sometimes hit and miss, right? Um, and I think, uh, yeah, that, that, that is the case in these stories in general. Um, but I mean, there, there are some pretty cool things in the Harry mud one. I I like some of the things they did. Right. And I did like
0: both of the little backup stories. They're, they're, they're
1: short, but, uh, they're actually kind of,
0: I don't want to say cute, but they, uh, they were, they were good.
1: Well, I don't know. The last one was cute.
0: Right, that's why I didn't, that's why I but, didn't want to lump <clears> them both <throat> together, but they were both good.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first, uh, the first one, The Great Triple Hunt, uh, you know, that, that was cute. <laughs> <Right>. Even <laughs> though there were probably millions of triples that died to make this story. Oh, um, spoiler. Millions. Um, but the second one, just with the spirit of, you know, whatever, well, I'm not going to go into it. Spoiler. The spirit one was like, what was the point of this? Okay. Fine. Okay. All right. Well, you want let's to get, get on with the, them. Uh, Instead of talking about the, them, doing our the, synopsis or doing our commentary before we even start the synopsis. Exactly.
0: Okay. All right. So we got issue four. Well, what's the name of this one? Something mud? Mud yeah. in your eye? <laughs> made out of mud?
1: Okay. So two stories in issue number four and the first one is made out of mud. Yes. Okay. So um, – cover features the bridge crew surrounding Captain Kirk in the middle of, of the cover, looking surprised and disoriented as a glowing outline of hardcore Fenton mud is all around him. So, <laughs> somehow Kirk and mud are somehow uh, linked in this story. A Federation shuttle approaches a planet, enters its atmosphere, and lands in a gleaming, squeaky clean. Federation City. Captain Kirk exits the shuttle and makes his way through the city. He is called captain by a red shirt, and at first, Kirk does not seem to recognize his own rank. The red shirt wants Kirk to show him his flight clearance since he did not approach and land along authorized flight paths. Most dangerous. Instead, Kirk shoots the security man with a phaser set on stun and stows the body for him to sleep it off. The man in Kirk's body has a scheme to carry out and it just won't do to get caught too soon. Kirk enters a secured communications area of a Starfleet installation at lunchtime and stuns two officers uh, left to man the fort. With no one left in his way, the fake Captain Kirk starts altering settings on sensitive computer equipment. He says to himself, 10 seconds and the recording will be complete. Just then, two red shirts with phasers aimed at Kirk enter the room. The imposter in Kirk's body surrenders, saying he wants to be captured. Sometime later, a psychiatrist named Dr. Hamilton is contacted by Starfleet and asked to see a most unusual patient, a Starfleet captain that claims he isn't. The Enterprise is summoned to planet Tau Delta 9 with no explanation other than it's an Alpha One designation. Kirk and Spock beam down and are met by Dr. Hamilton, who introduces Kirk and Spock to the captain's doppelganger. The double claims to be Harry Mudd. Later that day, Kirk examines him and confirms that physically it's Jim Kirk, but to be precise, Jim Kirk about eight months ago. Spock asks Mudd to tell them what the hospital staff so far has not. Mudd agrees and launches into a long story about how he got off the android world Kirk marooned him on with the help of a mysterious remote-controlled Starfleet shuttlecraft with the markings of Galileo 7, from the Enterprise no less. 29 hours later, the shuttle landed in some sort of industrial complex on an unfamiliar planet. A lone man is there to meet Mudd, an acquaintance of Captain Kirk's, the former captain, Ronald Tracy, of the starship Exeter. Kirk admitted to being instrumental in Tracy's arrest and eventual court-martial. Tracy thought Mudd considered Kirk a mortal enemy, as Tracy did. He said... He engineered a way for them both to have their revenge on try garlius III. Kirk says they visited the planet about eight months ago. They have a special application of transporter technology, but instead of using it for transportation from point to point, they use it to change how people look. Tracy used it to make mud look like Kirk. Tracy put Mud back in the shuttle that took him off to a nearby starbase. Tracy gave him codes to memorize that would allow Mudd to obtain specific documents they will require for their revenge on Kirk. Mudd explains he did what he was told to do, but he decided to do it badly. He got himself caught. If Mudd was ever going to get his body back, he needed Kirk's help. Spock says they need to know before they can effectively move on Tracy. Spock suggests a further deception. The shuttle returns to Tracy's planet and lands. Mudd, in Kirk's form, meets with Tracy and hands over the data card. Tracy says the documents it contains is just what he asks for. Mudd said he held up his end of the bargain and asked Tracy for his old body back. Tracy says he is not yet finished with having James T. Kirk around as a tool and stuns Mudd into unconsciousness. When Mudd comes to, he is on the shuttlecraft again on approach to a communications link station that looks rather like Space Station K-7. They land and both depart the shuttle. Tracy, now in an Enterprise uniform, says he is part of Kirk's crew now. They meet Commander Barlow, the station's commander, and convinces him it's a surprise inspection. They virtually get the run of the place and enter the station's central communications control. While there, the crew is distracted by Kirk's presence to give Tracy the chance to signal a nearby Klingon D-7. Captain Koloth commands the ship. His underlings report Tracy's transmission is exactly the information they need. Koloth orders a change of course, as not only his D7, but more, but five more D7s, all or- alter course. Meanwhile, Spock on the Enterprise is giving orders to follow the shuttlecraft at the limits of their long-range sensors. Ohura picks up Klingon transmissions from the direction the shuttle is heading in. The shuttle lands, not on another Starfleet station, but rather. An installation on a water planet. They enter the installation and eventually end up in a control room. Tracy makes some adjustments and says it's almost time for our next transmission. Kirk slash Mudd protests about not being told who we are transmitting to. Sure enough, Tracy is transmitting to Koloth and his group of heavy cruisers who position themselves and wait for the next transmission. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Spock is tracing the movements of the shuttle and Uhura is intercepting their transmissions that are using the same Klingon encryption codes. Spock reports they are moving on to the next Federation communications installation, as he predicted. Uhura continues to attempt to trace the location of the receiver of those communications. At the next communication installation, Kirk slash Mudd makes another comment about the installation mud should not know and he asks tracy what he is really doing despite Tracy holding a phaser it turns into a fight and the phaser is dropped tracy easily wins but surprise the real captain kirk spock and a security detail are right behind them kirk explains they pulled a clever double double bluff and even went to the trouble of using a dangerous Vulcan mind meld to implant Starfleet tactical information into Mudd's mind. Of course. All that to keep Tracy off balance while Spock and Uhura figure out what he was up to. They return to the ship and put Tracy in the brig. Uhura figures out where the signals were sent. A location near the edge of Federation space near the Klingon border. Confirming the Klingons are involved, Kirk coerces Tracy into spilling the beans and helping Kirk to plan out and execute a way to foil the nasty Klingons. Koloth, thinking Tracy is still in play, continues forward with plans to invade and take part of the Federation territory while they neutralize communications in this part of space. Just as they begin to move their ships out into Federation space, Multiple Federation ships warp into position ahead of the Klingon ships. Koloth is frustrated and spoiling for a fight, but the calm, cool, and collected Captain Kirk talks him down from the cliff, and they go their separate ways. Later, after things have settled down, they break the news to Harry that Tracy, nor they, can transform Harry back into his old body, as a recording of his original body was never made. Kirk asks McCoy to help, and he does, but first says he is a doctor, not a miracle worker. McCoy provides Harry with clothes, just like the old ones, his old ones, complete with a roguish hat. He uses a cellular growth stimulator to grow Harry a right, proper mustache. Kirk tells Harry, due to his cooperation, the Federation Council has reduced all charges, and allows him to return to Earth a free man. He will be on parole for a time, but Kirk has personally recommended a very special parole officer for Harry. Kirk gives him her dossier to familiarize himself with her. As the Enterprise makes its way to its next adventure, a roguish voice can be heard screaming, Kirk! What have you? No! Stella! The end. But i Yes, but I'm bumped indeed. Why not trot out the old Stella joke I think Stella was a, a parole officer. Well, she is now. <laughs> Handy, isn't it? So God. as we as we learned it in Discovery, Stella is the like daughter of some some rich connected guy. So right. what she would do, be doing, ending up being a parole officer on Earth, I have no idea.
0: Maybe she was deputized as a parole officer uh, after the last uh, – <sighs> the last time he was stuck with her instead of going to prison. I don't know. Maybe.
1: Maybe, maybe, maybe.
0: All right. So I have a question, and I did some research while uh, while we were talking, and I mm-hmm. came up with nothing, but – It's <laughs> <laughs> good, good research. Yeah, yeah. No, I was spot on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I thought it was odd throughout this whole book. You never see Harry Mudd. You never see his face. you never see any of the actual actor Harry Mudd, so anytime he's shown, it's always silhouette, so it's all dark. you don't you can see his silhouette, but you can't see who any features right, or his head is obstructed by. You know, a window or some sort of door as he's walking through to get to the the transportation chamber and stuff like that. So you never actually saw the actor who played Harry Mudd in this book at all. Right. So I was wondering why that was. Did did CBS and, and, and now IDW not have the rights to the character and that's why his facial expressions always had to be obscured or what was the deal?
1: I don't know. Good question. Yeah. I mean Roger C. Carmel was the actor that played him. I mean he 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 popped up into so many different TV shows in the '60s. I mean, hey. he was like in everything uh, Man from Uncle," "I Spy," just tons and tons of shows, and why he would have uh you know, he's a sporting actor. Why he would have any more sway than anybody else who played on Star Trek? I have no idea. But but I completely agree with you. It's it's very odd. I mean, they show like like this from behind, like maybe a three quarters thing. You see, you see a little bit of the side of his face, and you definitely see the bushy mustache, but you never see his face. I completely agree. That is very odd. I mean, he's got a stupid straw hat on, right? Um. Yeah, it really struck me when
0: he's he's on the planet talking to uh, Tracy, mm-hmm. and he was always in shadow. And Tracy wasn't. And then I was like, oh, well, but we saw his face earlier. And then I went back to the earlier pages, and sure enough, no, we never did. Yeah. yeah. And then even when he's being – walking into that chamber, it's a glass door. Yet for whatever reason, uh, the part that it should show his face being through the glass is somehow obscured. I'm yeah. Like, That's weird. It is weird. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't know if you – if
1: it, if no, you, I have if no you special up on knowledge. It or knew anything about well, it. Well, I, I, I didn't. I mean, I picked up on it while I was while I was reading it. I thought it was odd. You didn't see his face, but I really didn't dwell on. it. I just moved on. But, um, but I have no, I have no explanation. But it, I completely agree with you. It's something that Burn Burn purposely did. But for what reason, I do not know. All right.
0: Yeah. So even on page. 12, it's it's the worst case of it. There's, there's a scene where it, it shows them just walking down a hallway talking. Yes. And there's a pipe that yes. just comes out of exactly. nowhere to, <laughs> to obscure Mud's face.
1: Exactly. I mean, you can see the top of his balding head, yeah. uh, and you can see his shoulders and stuff, but you can't see his neck, and you can't see his face. Right. Very strategic placement.
0: Yeah, very weird. Very weird. And it's not like they, he didn't have enough footage. He has more footage of Mud than he would anybody else. I mean... Mm Villain-wise, since he was one of the few villains to come back more than once. Mm. All right, so uh, here's my ignorance on Next Generation, our original series. Uh, Who is this Tracy guy?
1: Ron Tracy is a uh, captain who, for whatever in the Omega Glory, one of the few um, episodes that were written by Gene Roddenberry himself – that was the one that had, um, th- that basically where uh, it was a parallel Earth, and basically China, Asians were able to, uh, you know, basically take over the world, whatever. And then uh, good white people from America uh, end up finally conquering that and taking back their country. And uh, do you remember any of this? No, I really don't. And at the end. The big thing, the big reveal, is they're playing um, like the national anthem, and they bring in a tattered, uh, oh a yeah, flag, the, the flag, right?
0: I remember that tattered part, you running flag. around, running around
1: with it, right? Right. So um, uh, he was the captain that uh, betrayed the non uh, non-interference uh, uh, prime directive. And helping the uh, Yanks, as I believe they were called, to uh, take back their their land. Mm. But it was an alternate universe, right? Or 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 was he helping? Or was he helping the Asian folks? I I don't remember. He was helping somebody, and he shouldn't have. He was mm. probably helping the Asian folks, although they had already taken over everything. So I don't know why he would have. Anyway, the main thing is he's a rogue captain. Sure.
0: Yeah, I got that much from the story, but yeah. I just didn't I didn't know which episode. Wow, was you one. don't remember
1: – so you kinda remember that one, but not much. Mm I just remember the I thought it was like
0: a mining colony or something that, that no. had that flag thing. No. Alright, looks like I need to go back and rewatch it. What what season was that, do you know?
1: Uh probably two or maybe one. Um Easy to look up. What was it called again? The Omega Glory.
0: The Omega
1: Glory exactly it was not a great episode and uh, if I remember correctly that was one of three scripts that were considered to be filmed for the second pilot luckily they picked Where No Man Has Gone Before instead which I think is a far superior story
0: huh alright well somehow this guy escaped and now he's, uh, he's, he's
1: making people's faces look different (laughs) <laughs> yes. Exactly. That's exactly what's happening.
0: So when I uh, when I first saw him, Mud talking about how he got transformed or something, mm-hmm. I really thought they were going to bring back. Um, oh, what's what's the name of the the captain that we just talked about not too long ago that could change his face for for no reason? Oh, right, right, right. Garth. Uh, Garth. Of, Garth. Of yeah. Of Izar or something. Garth of Izar. Yeah. I was thinking that. Oh, this will be kind of cool, because maybe Garth of Izar has taught him how to change faces. right. And then when it showed him, obviously I knew that this guy was from Star Trek, but I couldn't remember what either Garth or or this guy – I couldn't remember what Garth actually looked like. And Mm -hmm. I was like, he kind of looks like what I think of when I'm thinking of Garth, so maybe this is him. And then he said he was some other captain, and I'm like, oh, that's different. But it would have been kind of cool if it was Garth of Izar. And that this was going to explain how he got the ability to, to transform his face and stuff like that. Ah, that was your explanation. There you go. That, right. that could have worked too, maybe. That's what I was hoping for for the first, you know, ten pages. Right, right.
1: <laughs> well, um, no, that wasn't the case. However, uh, this actor actually has put, popped up in more than one uh, Taws episode. Do you happen to remember what the other one was for bonus points? As the same same guy or different guy? Same actor, but different uh, character. Mm, No. What? He played Doctor Simon Van Gelder, and ah, I think it was called Dagger of the Mind. I think the episode, and um, and he was basically playing a crazy a crazy doctor because Mm. he was being tortured. So he was like the doctor, and then the inmates took over, and I, I forgot all the details, but um, yeah. So he played a, a doc, and and the whole episode, he was basically in in solid frenetic crazy guy mode. Yeah. So he was really overacting. Well, I think no, nah, I think he did a pretty good job, quite frankly. But th- that was just the way the character was written in the episode. Right. So that was the ninth episode. Oh, ninth that early? Okay, yeah. okay. Which kind of makes sense if it was one of the three or so scripts considered for the second pilot.
0: No, the uh, the the dagger in the mind. Was oh, the dagger
1: mind. Of the mind. Oh, okay. I still
0: okay. can't find the one you're talking about. What's Oma- it called again?
1: The Omega Glory. You're kidding me. You can't find the Omega Glory. The Omega Glory, uh, Memory Alpha, season two, episode twenty-five. So that was pretty far into the second season.
0: Oh, here. I found it now.
1: <laughs> okay, so he was he was helping the uh, the Asian uh, side. Okay, anyway, all right, there you go.
0: So, anyway, so yeah, read he up on two people. it. He played two people. Also, in this story, we see uh, the squire of uh... wow. I am drawing a blank. Squire of Gathos. Gathos. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was gonna say Gothos, but then I was like, no, I'm thinking of Garth. Uh, oh, okay.
1: So you're talking about Koloth.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, in his episode as Koloth, I never really thought I can I could always distinguish between Koloth and 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 Gothos, but there's a few shots here where it's a close-up of his eyes, and I was like, you know, if you didn't know the context of the story, you would just think that's the that's uh the, the Q Jr's face.
1: Oh, okay, gotcha. (laughs) uh,
0: uh, What I'm trying to say is that in this story, Mm -hmm. I could see how they're definitely the same person, whereas when you're watching the show, it's not all that obvious because he's acting different, right? But here, because all you're seeing is a still picture, you're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely him. The same actor, right. Right. Yeah. And they do these weird close-ups on just his eyes, and you're just like, oh, yeah, there's there's no way you could be fooled into thinking that that's not him.
1: Right. Now, now is that panel the one where he's got a big old grin on his face? Uh, maybe, yeah. Because often Klingons don't grin. Right. But this guy, he's got a big old, uh, big old grin in one panel. And that, and of course, you know, Squire of Gothos was doing, uh, some grinning here and there when he wasn't doing a tantrum. I like that episode. I did too. I thought that was a very interesting character. Um,. Of course, everybody that wants to retcon him into a queue. Yeah, I know. Thanks, um, Peter David. <laughs> there's, uh, you know, it, it all, the, the whole mirror mechanism where he got his power from, that was always kind of something that puts uh, right, and some water parents, on that idea.
0: His parents and all that stuff. Coming up to get end. him.
1: Exactly. And, I don't know. It, does, it doesn't fit. Right.
0: Unlike, you know, Vija and the Borg. <laughs> <those will> <laughs> that fit. makes perfect
1: sense. now at least that's possible except for the fact that oh i guess it would have to drop into a black hole or something uh to get as far as where the the borg are but whatever right
0: so um in normal star trek fashion all the federation ships are constitution class we of course never see another
1: (laughs) ship exactly
0: because they don't have the budget Although, for for whatever reason, the Klingon ships had a variety of models. They had... Oh, with uh, this one? Yeah, so some of them look like they had, like, the... Or do they? All they
1: all kind of look the like D7s to me. Okay. Wow.
0: That second... The second panel and that last panel... It's
1: like Which the page?
0: The are gone. Which
1: page? Um, On page 35. 35. Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's like, off... Off panel, huh? But all of them, maybe yeah. yeah, it's cloaked. I don't know. I don't know, but they, they're they're all D sevens.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. But at first, I thought that uh, until I expanded the the PDF or whatever this file is. Oh, it kind of cut it off. Uh, a bit. It kind of. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was more like a Romulan ship with the the where the nacelles are kind of connected on the bottom too, and there's like that negative space. Uh huh. But no, I just think the nacelles are just gone
1: gone man
0: it's like they've been airbrushed out Hmm.
1: yeah anyways well
0: i like the idea of a big big ship battle but it never actually happened so nah
1: in Taz. (laughs) now of course i mean he can do anything he wants to burn Mm -hmm. um but you know He's probably not going to do a big ship battle either. And definitely the Taws, there was no precedent. Well, they would have it, but they would just talk about it. You wouldn't actually see much. Right. Because, again, they didn't have the budget. Oh, no. Yeah, well, those phasers cost money. <laughs> exactly. Um. So I, I think as far as uh, – I, I noticed that some of the Klingons look like they might have been like friends of Burns or maybe himself. Who knows? Because some of them look really schlocky. Oh, you're saying Byrne looks schlocky? No. Ouch. No, just some of the Klingons that they show uh, just look like, you know, because they, they got a whole crew, you know, a whole, um, on Koloss, uh Bridge. There's a whole crew of them. Right. And some of them look like, you know, they're either partially animated uh, or maybe they're like like friends that have a cool... Klingon costume or something. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, on page 33, there's a guy that actually looks like he might have a bumpy head.
1: Exactly. Exactly my point. So that if you look weird. if you look at that one, so he looks like he, he, he's got a receding hairline. And he almost looks like he has a turtle head.
0: It looks like a, the beginning of a turtle head. Exactly. Sure.
1: Right. Or at least butt cheeks. Because <laughs> he's got that ridge going down the middle. Right. Right. It looks like really cellulite butt cheeks, maybe.
0: Anyway. Yeah, so that's that's
1: different. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And then if you go to the next page, thirty four, uh yeah. Koloth is standing behind a guy who's at a control panel, and he looks like his his like mustache and partial beard is like like drawn in practically. Right. So there's I'm an example would. of one I thought – you know, that might have been Byrne or maybe a friend of Burns and dressed up. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, in the next issue, they have a little preview for the next issue, and I think Byrne is actually in that one. And, and, is he? Uh, I have it as a comment, even though I didn't actually read that story because right. uh, I don't want to spoil it for the next one. But I did kind of thumb through the pictures, and one person was just like, hey, I think that's
1: him. <laughs> Why not put yourself in? <laughs> what – did you – Somebody mentioned something like that. He called it a Hitchcock or something. Right, yeah, because Hitchcock always put himself in all mm-hmm. his movies. Little little cameo things, walking dogs and, and the like. Right. All right. Um, in the story,
0: I did like that they're doing all these extra sensor scans and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they actually reference it's because Klingons can now look like anybody. Or they can look like humans. I thought that was actually pretty good.
1: Uh, where did they, they, put, do that? they put the what fake
0: page? Kirk through uh, some extra scans because they actually say, now that we know that Klingons can disguise themselves as humans, uh, we're going to go through this extra step. And then Mud's like asking Tracy, you know, do you think it's going to work? And then he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, hold on. I'll find the page. Uh, oh, that, That's on... fine. That's fine. That's
1: fine. I just don't
0: remember it. It doesn't it's matter. It's on page 22.
1: The uh, oh, the captain of, they, of the K right, right, seven, right, right. but whatever uh, Yeah, that that space station that looks like K seven. Right. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So
0: that was good. Good good attention to detail. hmm
1: I like that too. Um, I like uh I like at the end the comic relief where they do a paper cut out <laughs> dressing up of uh, basically photos of Kirk. To make him look a little bit more mud-like, uh, even yeah. though it was kind of schlocky and and cheap-looking, but I think they did it cheap-looking purposely. Sure, uh, you know, to to add to the the humor of the farce of it. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny.
0: Yeah, I don't like that. We're supposed to believe that there's another Kirk running around that's actually
1: Fenton Mud. Exactly.
0: And well, yeah, they should have and- resolved
1: that one. Yeah, but but I I kind of like how they didn't though. I mean it it kind of makes sense. Um in the fact that if Tracy never bothered taking a a scan of Mud before the transformation, that there's no way for them to get his body back exactly. Um that kind of sort of makes sense.
0: Yeah, it makes sense,
1: but but I don't still. Like it. Yeah. Yeah, don't like it. Don't like it one bit. So now, now he can't be in any other stories, theoretically. If you want to be consistent, at until least until he the...
0: until he meets up with Garth and finds out how to. Ah! One, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they could go there. They could do Ma- that.
0: Maybe Byrne has a plan. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring back all the shapeshifters into one long storyline. Oh, really long with Harry Mudd in the middle. Okay, we'll see. Yeah, I doubt it. But it would be kind of cool if he did. All right. Shall um, we move on to the next one? Or are you good? I, I just
1: want to say one more thing. Oh, I thought no I thought their whole BS about a double bluff was just really forced. The double double bluff. Uh, uh, well, okay, sure. Double double bluff. Whatever. The, I mean, the idea. And and by the way, sending mud back to the armed murderer Tracy um, is is putting a civilian in harm's way. Um, I just and for what purpose? I mean, it makes so so much sense to send Kirk into it, and no. then they purposely don't show Kirk when Spock and Uhura are working all this out from the Enterprise. I mean, they do everything they can to force you into thinking it's Kirk there, and then surprise, uh, you know, twist. It isn't Kirk. It's it is it is mud. It just seems just way too forced.
0: Right, and then the whole – we did a Vulcan mind meld to give fake Kirk some memories of Starfleet security stuff. Yeah. So how did they do that? How did, did, how did they know what would, would come up? Did through his brain to get stuff? Or did exactly. Spock, uh, did, did Kirk have to think about it while they were transferring, or did it even come from Kirk?
1: Well, they – yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it, it would have made more sense coming from Spock. I guess so.
0: But when I read it the first time I was like, Oh, we... so somehow Spock had his hands on both Kirks and <laughs> was like a conduit with this information, but I guess
1: it could have come straight from Spock. I mean Spock probably knows almost as much as Kirk does. That's true. That's true. I didn't yeah, I, never, did, I no, didn't think of that. It's never like
0: he he peppered in some like personal Kirk stuff.
1: <laughs> uh
0: yeah, I really uh-huh. thought when he was going to hit on that green lady was going to be was supposed to be some sort of tale that it's the real Kirk or not, but uh, they didn't actually go there, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I'm done. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's go to the the follow up story, which is The Great Triple Hunt. Pretty a horrible story when we think about it. Yeah,
1: when you think about it. Okay. So, Great Triple Hunt. Captain Koloth and his landing party. They do like Koloth beams down to the Tribble homeworld, whose coordinates were obtained from Cyrano Jones himself. Koloth and his crew intend to purge the horrible little creatures from the galaxy, despite the fact that there are billions of them on the planet. Naturally, the Tribbles react badly to the Klingons' presence when they beam down, and start screeching! which of course annoys the Klingons, and they begin firing on the furry, furry little troublemakers with their hand disruptors. Rather than bombarding them from orbit, Kolos sends down more troops uh, to go ahead and pick up the extermination pace. They do kill many tribbles, but it's just a small dent in the total population. One of the Klingons may say recent scans indicate most of the Tribbles are underground. Koloth leads teams into subterranean caverns where they indeed find many Tribbles. After days of Tribble slaughter, Koloth returns to the ship and contacts his superior, Kor, who tells him extermination is useless. The foul Tribbles breed as fast as they can kill them. Kor will not take failure as an acceptable result. The Emperor himself wants that stain on Klingon dignity erased. The channel is closed and Koloth comes up with his new plan. They will beam down seven quantum bombs into the caverns. One of the crew postulates seven bombs is likely overkill since they can easily wipe out the surface of a medium world clean with just one. Koloth says yes on the surface, but we need to clear out an extensive maze of underground caverns. They detonate the seven bombs and turn the Class M blue-green planet into many lifeless hunks of rubble. Koloth congratulates his crew for a job well done. One century later, in a station named Deep Space Nine, Quark is dealing with a lot of troubles in his self-named bar, and den of sin. The end. I like the little cork reference. Yes, a brief one, but yes. Yep. So, uh, yes, you, you destroyed the homeworld, but uh, <laughs> because obviously people took them off that planet, um, you couldn't have killed them all. They're a space-faring race now. Um, right. So how could you expect you could do that, you bunch of buffoon Klingons? Right, so when you think about it, yeah.
0: Kirk's little joke about beaming – I guess it was Scotty's joke about beaming all the Tribbles over to the, the D7 ship. Where there'll be
1: no Tribble at all?
0: Right. So because of that action, then the retaliation was for the Klingons to destroy
1: a whole planet. Yes, So it's really kind of, and this is the emperor himself is involved in this, right? Oh, Scotty's Scotty's
0: fault. (laughs) Yeah, because if Scotty would have just beamed him into space, yeah, that stinks to kill those, you know, several hundred. But uh, at least it would have kept the whole planet alive. Still, (sighs) yeah, yep. It's all All your fault, Scotty. All his fault, Scotty. I'll tell you, being a little jokester, and he ended up causing the. The genocide of a whole species of well
1: things. It the whole species didn't go away. Well, according to this story, they did. No, what are you what are you talking about? No, they're they're, they're it's on they're Deep Space Nine. No,
0: they're on Deep Space Nine in the future because they go in the past and then they take
1: one from K seven. Well, okay, fine. What? Well, but can you? Okay, so Sereno <laughs> Jones. <laughs> now that's an interesting point. That's a very interesting point. But do you really think Sereno Jones? came from that planet, and just went to K-7. Well, we know from other Star Trek movies
0: yes. that, uh, that people keep these things as pets, even in Star Trek three and stuff like that. So we know that th- there was some off-planet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But
1: I'm just saying. Yeah, but, but actually that's a really cool idea. So, um, now, did, did they – now, of course, you've made that up. But um, – Made what up? Okay. So do you okay, – uh, so in that episode, DS9 episode, uh uh-huh. um, did they actually bring one back with them? Yeah. Ah! <laughs> okay. I don't remember that. Well, that's what I thought you were getting at. But I don't yeah. remember that actually being part of the story.
0: Yeah. So within the context of just Trouble with Tribbles and Trials and Tribulations, mm-hmm. it is – it is established that the only reason Deep Space 9 gets infected was because they went back in time and brought one. But we've seen the cartoon, they're there. They're in the animated series which that's what year 4 or 5 and then uh and then they're in Star Trek 3 and then they're in Star Trek the 2009 movie. So they are not they are just out and about. So Klingons did not kill them all. They just killed their homeworld. Uh but as we know from Klingons, if you just destroy the moon, the whole empire goes away. So <laughs> uh...
1: <laughs> you're going to bring that up again.
0: So if they kill just the, the, the tribal homeworld, the tribal empire is over.
1: Yeah.
0: There you go. <laughs>
1: <sighs> okay. So <clears throat> these buffoonish Klingons going down with hand disruptors to try to eradicate uh, the. Billions upon billions, and who knows, maybe even trillions of uh, tribbles that are on this planet. It's like, I, I know it's probably very gratifying to destroy them yourself with your own trigger finger, but really. I mean, why did they not bombard from space? They didn't know they were all in caverns at this point at the beginning.
0: Right. Well, if they didn't go down there, they
1: wouldn't have known. Well, I know that, but... Well, they might have. They got, they got sensors. I mean, they got sensory readings that picked up that they were in... Uh, I mean, those were sensory readings from the ship, I thought. Right. Well, whatever. My main point is, why, why are you not bombarding at least the surface from space? Much more uh, productive. Right. Nope, you're absolutely
0: right. And my question is also, I mean, if they have these bombs that can destroy a whole Earth with just one, then... You know, why, why are, why is Earth still there if they, I mean, would the Orga, I mean even before the Orianians got involved, why didn't they just destroy Earth? If all they had to do was beam one of those down to the surface and destroy a whole planet? Right. Well, you
1: just got to warp in, get close to Earth, fire it in a, uh, in some kind of a rocket thing, a torpedo or something, and
0: bye-bye. Well, you don't even have to do that, just... Beam it down. Well, if you could get, ship, come if you could get, okay, it down, cloaked. Okay, good point away. on
1: the, Good point on the cloaked. Good point on the cloaked.
0: And if you were the Federation, you could just transwarp beam it over to Kronos and destroy them that way. Just saying. In this future, there are options. Everybody should
1: be dead. The whole universe <laughs> should be dead.
0: <laughs> they have too much
1: weapons that kill everything. Well, not only that, they've got time travel. I mean, they've right. established that, that they can time travel at will. It isn't easy, but they can do it. That's true. That's true. Just time so, travel back to, uh, you know, some point where the, the Empire is weaker.
0: It always works out for Doctor Who when he goes back to stop the Daleks from ever being created. and ends Well, that up didn't making work out. Worse.
1: Exactly. Isn't that what triggered the time war?
0: Yeah. Well, it's basically what created the Daleks.
1: Oh, 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 they oh! Not, whoa, whoa, whoa. They might
0: not have ever been as so bad if uh, you know Tom Baker would just stay in his own business. There you go. Anyways, back to this issue. Uh, what is the bat creature thing on page forty-two? Uh, forty-two. Let me look. Oh, that thing! A, that thing on bat, the
1: right—a bat twat, a bat triple. <laughs> Good question. They just threw that in the middle of it. Right. I read these
0: bubbles several times just to get – are they
1: – did they mention it at some
0: point and I missed it? But I I keep reading it and I don't see anything that says, hey, look, they got a
1: subspecies of flying triple. Uh, with a face and a, and a big maw with teeth. Right. Um, yeah, that's kind of funny. And it's right there. I mean – so I guess they're trying to say – from a perspective standpoint, the bat's close to the reader. so that Right, it's these... flying away from the phaser blast? Exactly. So, so the Klingons don't really see it. It's, it. In other words, it's not a giant bat tribble with teeth. It's probably close a looking. smaller one that's closer to the reader compared mm. to the Klingons.
0: Right, right.
1: It's, yeah. it's nasty looking. It's nasty looking, and he just threw it in there. It's funny. I completely forgot about it, by the way. But as I was reading, I was going like, "What the hell? What the heck is that?" And then I just kept reading and forgot about it. Right. You just got to keep going. Got to keep going. So he's got. They got kind of like a reddish, like, like head thing. I mean, the eyes almost look like they're like a fish or something.
0: Well, the mouth looks like a fish too.
1: So yeah. So it's like a piranha or something. Right. Very with very wings. strange. With bat wings. With yeah. with furry bat wings. Yeah. That's it's, furry it's, bat wings. It's crazy. It's wackadoodle.
0: It's a it's a flying triple with teeth. <laughs> teeth.
1: Uh and eyes, you can see. Right. Uh at least they didn't give it a nose. Anyways. Alright,
0: anything else on this one?
1: Um uh... Yeah, I, uh, oh yes, of course, my main point. Okay, so here's, here's, my, here's my deal. So uh, it's interesting how the Emperor wanted to wipe out the Tribbles, right? I mean, what did the Klingons really have against those fuzzy, cute little Tribbles anyway? I'll tell you, one word, rejection. The Tribbles' automatic reaction to the Klingons is to scream with fear and loathing. That is without the Klingons even saying a word or blasting even one of those Tribbles to atoms. They just hate Klingons. And the Klingons can't take that kind of rejection. The Klingons have feelings too, you know. So maybe the Tribbles should have taken a look and asked if maybe they could have some blame in this terrible relationship too. There you go. That's, that's my observation of what's going
0: on here. Really. Rejection. I think hated them because they tried to destroy them in the past in the in the great tribal war. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like on a genetic level the the future generations are known They, to, don't, they hate know they know.
1: So oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't that think so. Was
0: actually referenced somewhere.
1: <laughs> isn't it? Not? In your old isn't that Was it isn't that a thing? No. I don't think it is. <laughs> I
0: it was. I'm not joking. I thought it was. Oh come on.
1: Okay. It, okay. So um, yeah, I, I just think it's funny how the tribbles automatically, uh, you know, perceive the other beings properly. So they of course love humans and they v- v- virulently hate Klingons. Right. So anyway, no, it's good. Maybe maybe, but, maybe you're
0: right. Maybe it is. They tried to keep them as pets and they hate them so bad that now they.
1: It turned yeah, into just, the Great Klingon Tribble War. Yeah, that's a good point. A millennia ago. If oh you would have
0: just loved them.
1: Exactly, show a little love.
0: And then the Klingons wouldn't be so bad because they'd, they'd have something to love when they got home.
1: Exactly. Instead of just not rejected. at home writhing
0: in, in rage. Exactly. In the universe.
1: Exactly. I mean, good point. A thought. Good a thought. point. That's That's my editorial. <laughs> All right, that's it. I'm done now.
0: Yeah, alright, so we ready? Let's go, on to book two Alright, so this is New Visions, issue number five Published by IDW, came out March of 2015 Again, it has two stories um, They are both uh, photo montaged by John Byrne Which I think he also wrote it uh, Created by Gene Roddenberry and edited by Chris Royale So the cover shows a large green ship Which runs the whole length of the cover Right down the middle uh, it consists of a long, cylindrical piece, kind of in the middle, and then there's like these huge balls, kind of on the side and in the front and the back. So uh, it shows the Enterprise flying above it, and it's so tiny it looks like a little insect compared to the the bigger, the bigger vessel. So to each side of this, we on one side we see Pike's Enterprise crew, and they're wearing their gray away. Mission uniforms. And then on the other side, we see Kirk's crew in their normal uniforms. And on the Kirk side, there's a mysterious woman that has a green tunic on and there's a white streak through her hair. It's not really that mysterious because this woman's actually on both sides. It's number one. So there's the normal number one on Pike's side and then the white streaked number one on Kirk's side. So story number one is entitled The Scent of Ghosts. So it starts off with a flashback. So throughout this whole story, there's a current story, and then there's a flashback story. So I'm going to be jumping between flashback and current quite a bit. Um, Although this first flashback isn't even in reference to the rest of the flashbacks, so it's kind of a a one-off flashback. But anyways, it shows Spock telling Pike and number one goodbye on the transporter pad. They are both departing the Enterprise to move on to their next assignments. Spock says that he's going to be staying aboard for the new captain, a gentleman by the name of Kirk. So now we're in the current story. Spock is again in the transporter room. This time he's waiting for the arrival of Commodore number one. Even though she's never actually given a name, uh, they only just call her the Commodore, which is kind of consistent with with all of her appearances or a good good number of them. Uh, So she'll always be referred to as Commodore number one in this story. So the Enterprise will be traveling – well, actually, the Enterprise will be transporting her to her next assignment on the USS Yorktown. So she's going to get a little ride from the Enterprise. Uh, Once she's on board, the uh, number one is given a tour of the Enterprise. And this lasts several long pages of her visiting just various places on the ship. And it might have even lasted more, but thank goodness Chekhov cuts in and says – to the captain, that the Yorktown is now sending a distress call. Kirk orders them to increase speed. So now we get the the first real flashback, and this is of Pike's crew finding this strange, massive ship which we saw on the cover. Uh, they're detecting no life on board, and the design of the ship is completely unknown, along with the function of the ship. Um, It is interesting that during this scene, we learn that young Scotty was actually part of Pike's crew. Back in the current time, the Enterprise arrives at the Yorktown. No life signs are detected. Kirk assigns an away team that he will lead. Number one says that she should join, since it is going to be her ship, by the way. Uh, Kirk disagrees, but he does say that she could outrank him if she wanted to push the subject. She agrees to stay behind And the away team beams over to the ship. We get a quick little flashback where Pike's team also beams aboard the alien ship. Back in the current time, while on the Yorktown, several of the crew vanish as they try to adjust or read instruments there on the Yorktown bridge. First it's Sulu, then it's Spock, and then Kirk himself all just vanish, leaving McCoy there on the bridge all alone. Scotty tries to talk McCoy into returning back to the Enterprise, but McCoy refuses until they know what happened to Kirk. The Yorktown then starts to move on her own, and she has locked phasers on the Enterprise. Back in the flashback, Pike and his crew find a huge shaft that runs the length of this mysterious ship. They think that it's some sort of anti-grav turbo lift, similar to what they used to see in the Jetsons, maybe. Pike ties some string to his waste and he's about to hop out and see what happens back in the current time the enterprise is taking a beating from the automated yorktown the yorktown's phasers are firing at up to 500 percent the enterprise is putting all of her power in the shields while the yorktown has not even raised hers having taken enough damage number one orders the enterprise to start shooting at her own ship They are able to target the unprotected engineering section and disable the craft. However, the ship is now venting all of its oxygen into space. And since no one's there to fix it, it means that McCoy will soon die on the ship. Scotty requests permission to beam over and help with the life support repairs. Back in the flashback, Pike slowly descends the length of the ship, commenting on how everything looks exactly the same. And there's a lot of pages that show this. Back in the current time, Scotty arrives on the Yorktown and then starts adjusting the life support controls on the bridge. He and McCoy start to watch the logs of the Yorktown crew and find out that the Yorktown found a ship very similar to the one Pike did many years ago. And then suddenly all of the bridge crew disappeared at once. Back in the flashback, Pike arrives to the bottom slash rear of the ship and soon everybody else from his away team joins him. Kelso and Scotty are suddenly vanished as a creature appears. The creature, which is some sort of hologram, tells Pike that they are on an arc of sorts. Uh, just one of many ships that are from an alternate universe. And each ship holds four billion life forms in some sort of quasi-stasis as Scotty and, and Kelso now know. Uh, and that the ship is just out looking for another universe to colonize. Back to the current time, the Yorktown comes around for another attack on the Enterprise. But Scotty is able to do some of his computer magic and he's able to disable the phasers without the ship knowing that he's doing something that might be considered hostile and making him vanish along with the other crew. Back in the flashback time, the creature tells Pike that they're just trying to find a home and, uh, because their universe was destroyed. It then returns Kelso and Scotty, and then the ship vanishes once the away team beams back to the Enterprise. Back in current time, Scotty's able to return Kirk, Sulu, and Spock from the other dimension. He's able to get enough power from the Enterprise transferred to the Yorktown so that he's able to beam back all of the Yorktown crew back from the alternate stasis dimension. The alien program that's been controlling the Yorktown is now somehow gone, and they can go about their own business. Uh, later, we see that there's a huge celebration as Commodore No. 1 is given her new mission badge, that of the Yorktown. The end.
1: Wow. Okay. So, Byrne took a mission to ferry Commodore Number 1 to her new command... On the Yorktown and basically turned it into a long-winded story with Pike and crew involved and some mystery for Spock and Kirk and McCoy to solve. So, no, not really, a f- just Scotty, Scotty's the
0: only one that joined that, that solved all of this.
1: Okay, Spock well, and them are gone. Fine, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I just. Didn't really get the point of the whole story. It had potential.
0: It had a lot of potential. I liked the whole jumping back and forth. But Well uh, if they did
1: something, if sure. If they did
0: something, yeah. It it just ended up not going anywhere.
1: No. Okay, so so they, they, they came into some kind of understanding of the aliens ship and the aliens, I guess. And then right. that then that ended the Pike story. And then right. Kirk and company happened to bump into them again.
0: But it's the, – and they're not even sure if it's the same ship. So it may or may not be the same ship. In fact, they probably think that it's not the same ship. It's just one of these oh, Betty ships. ships. And they even say something like, you know, uh, maybe this new ship was contacted by the other ship that if you're ever in this universe and you need help, this is the type <laughs> of people to look for. I don't know. But instead of asking for help, they just – stay system all on board the yorktown
1: and, and turn and the yorktown into a killing machine
0: exactly for no reason
1: well okay so uh, or maybe they didn't let them know so therefore that was part of a de- defensive system um, well, okay maybe i mean that's the only thing that makes sense to me
0: but but did they somehow put some alien technology on the ship That then allowed them to do this whole stasis?
1: Whether they they somehow figure out how to remote control it without technology on the ship or not, I don't know. But the bottom line is that's what they did. Well, I'm more worried about
0: how did they they create this stasis universe type wherever they're being beamed to aboard the Yorktown versus uh, aboard the alien shift. Yeah. Because I'm assuming there's some sort of technology involved to – put you into this stasis dimension and yet um the yorktown shouldn't have that you know well of course not, not. it's not standard unless it was added issue. yeah <laughs> right so i don't know it, it's really weird it, it it was confusing and i didn't think it really went anywhere
1: yeah yep.
0: and the and the yorktown's just able to get over it it's like oh now the ship's okay
1: and now the crew's returned right and, uh, and by the way, how did they increase the power of the phasers 500% or whatever they were saying? Yeah,
0: that was pretty amazing. That was that, amazing. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful.
1: That's really powerful. I'm surprised the Enterprise's shields could stand up to that even one shot if it's that I'm much more powerful. I'm surprised
0: the phaser banks could even, uh, you know, not melt while they're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of questions. Lots yeah. of questions. Uh, I loved seeing number one. I, uh, as as an older woman, I kind of wish they would. He would have taken maybe um, shots from looks on a Troy and just oh. redid her hair. Yeah, to kind of make it look like it was really yeah. uh, that actress as an older woman. Yeah. But so because
1: really all they did is take the same number one footage from the pilot. I think. Oh well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they just put a pretty schlocky looking animated um, skunk, <laughs> skunk, stripe. skunk stripe coming right. you know uh, near, near the front part of her hair and that really was all they did called it a day right uh, would you think
0: it, about it how many years is it supposed to be since she left like maybe three years less than five because it's kind of implied that she leaves right when Kirk comes in so it has to be within two or three years that she's left so it's been a hard three years
1: well okay to get that much gray, okay, but you don't know how long it was before between menagerie and uh, when Pike left, True. and when she left. So, but I have uh, in this book, I have pictures of her
0: leaving, and she doesn't have skunk hair there.
1: Well, okay, but I mean the thing is, it's it may be more than three years, is what I'm saying.
0: Hmm.
1: All right. So I don't. I don't fine, think it is. Granted. Oh, so Menagerie happened, and right away, Kirk takes over. No, no, no,
0: no. This this scene happens, and then Kirk takes
1: over. Well, okay, but, I mean, a chunk of time could have elapsed. I'm not sure how much, but, uh, you know, obviously, what, what do they say? Ten years, Discovery is ten years before... Um, right. Ten years before Kirk and Spock and blah, blah, blah. So... And then we know we're going to see Pike. We've already seen him in the books. And we're going to see him in season two of Discovery. Um, I just – so did the Telosian thing happen after that or before – well, whatever. So <laughs> she's did. older. She's older. I mean did, didn't she have like a shock of, 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 uh, of gray hair like in some other extended universe thing?
0: Yeah, it, it was another one of John Byrne's uh, miniseries. Oh, okay, okay. That's where I saw it. Yeah, I thought I saw it somewhere. Yeah, okay. no, he's he's depicted her that way, um, in in the quote unquote current time of uh, next gen- or the original series. Okay, but what I'm saying is that in this book, we are shown what she looked like the day she left the Enterprise. Yeah, she does not have gray hair, and then she shows wow. up maybe within three years later, and she suddenly
1: has a, a huge. A shock so maybe of she gray. stopped
0: dyeing it. Maybe,
1: or or maybe that's a stylistic thing. Maybe that's part of her do. Hey, could you maybe. give me a skunk kind of gray thing in the front? <laughs> and then take some bangs off. Yeah, do that. So again, it's it. It just
0: seems like it's a a, a big change for you know just a few years. Yeah. My only thing. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, how long does it take hair to grow out that long? So her hair is pretty long. Uh, it's I the, the, the white don't part. know. So, I mean, don't is that know. more than three years' worth of growth? Maybe
1: her growth? hair – only her hairdresser knows for sure.
0: <laughs> right. But anyways, I liked having her in there. I, I always liked the character. Oh, yeah. I like seeing the Pike stuff, so that was good. Yeah. Even and seeing that... that Scotty was on there, that was kind of kind of interesting. A young Scotty was also part of the uh,
1: bike's crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't remember that. I mean, I definitely remember him being in the second pilot. But I don't remember him being in the first pilot. Was he? Yeah, he he's not in it, no. Okay, okay. Hmm.
0: Anyway. But I do think that there was some sort of expanded universe that kind of said that he was there.
1: And me. that would have been interesting. Because they right. definitely had um, some pretty cool expanded universe things in the past. Uh, there was one particular book I really enjoyed that um, – was focusing on number one both in the past when she was under Captain April and in the future when she was, uh, you know, Commodore. Right. And it bounced back and forth between time periods. But uh, I thought it was, it was a very interesting time period when Captain April was in charge and she was on the Enterprise. And that was a comic book or that was a – No, it was a novel. Which one was it? Uh, I have to look it up. I don't remember off the top of my head. But it was very interesting because they really got into her character, right? Well, did they say that she was part of some genetically altered humans yeah, they, or something? They definitely got well. I don't remember gener- genetically altered. They definitely went into the whole thing about her being from not from Earth, right? Um,
0: yeah, her origin has changed quite a bit. So, like, depending on which which book you read, is she, you know, obviously sometimes has a name. Wasn't her name Robin at one point? And her granddaughter or her daughter was part of the Next Generation
1: Starfleet Academy thing. Yeah, I, this book didn't talk about any of that. Right. But I mean so. I, I don't think – shes it's not like she's from an Earth colony. I mean she is truly an alien. Right. But I think in one of the original DC Fontania
0: books, they say she's she was part of some sort of genetic experiment planet type thing. So it was oh. a colony that was all genetically experimented um, humans, but then that might have been written – before Star Trek Two and and the okay. whole eugenic war really was fleshed out, so oh. hmm. it, it's it's like I said, she's had a very convoluted backstory, right? Which is even more compounded because she doesn't
1: even have a name, technically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only time we've heard any names has been like in extended universe, expanded right. universe books and comics and things, right?
0: Anyways, she's a very interesting character, and obviously she's, you know, the actress went on to be Nurse Chapel and looks on a Troy, so, and exactly. married to Gene Rottenberry, so it's like, she's a very interesting character to keep trying to follow.
1: Sure. The computer voice.
0: Oh, yeah, the computer voice, too. computer's
1: voice. Majel Barrett, she was a big part of Star Trek. Yeah, I never watched... Um,
0: Babylon Five, but I know that she made several appearances. Was she, was she ever more than just a
1: random guest star? I do, do not you? remember her being in Babylon Five ever. But really, really, hmm. um, I mean, they definitely had uh, Walter Koning. definitely. Um, I don't. I don't remember. She might have been, but I've okay. I've forgotten about it. That's alright. <laughs> okay, I thought, I, I thought
0: she was on it, but I, like I said, I never watched the show, so I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, I what watched it pretty religiously. Uh, a very good show, by the way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, but she is an actress that got around. She was in a lot of things. She was in Gunsmoke, I think. She was in a lot of uh, TV shows uh, back then. You know, a guest starring kind of person that popped up in multiple series. Right. Um, she might have even been on, at some point, uh, Have Gun, Will Travel. I think that was it. Which is the, one of the shows that Roddenberry wrote before Star Trek.
0: Right, right.
1: Well, oh, that makes uh, sense. You know, a staff writer or something. Um, yeah. Anyway, cool. So, um, I, I thought it was funny how Spot just came out and called McCoy a Luddite. Um, which I, which is not, I don't know that I think, isn't that, is that, a, is I always took the term Luddite as being a little bit of an insult, but maybe it isn't. But, um, McCoy took it really well and, and agreed, <laughs> although he preferred the term curmudgeon. Which oh, that's is perfect. Right. That's right. Which I is, like that. that's perfect. He, he is a curmudgeon. He I is a that. curmudgeon. <laughs> So that yeah, was when I was a, nice a kid, I was spot. always
0: like, I want to be like McCoy. Just, <laughs> just say it like it is.
1: Exactly. Just complain and just like,
0: yeah. <laughs> but he never really complains that
1: much. He just well, sure he does.
0: says like it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a insert whatever word you want. He's compl- He's constantly complaining. Well, because they're constantly making him do stuff that it's not his job. <laughs> <laughs> I especially like on the new movies where where McCoy doesn't really want to go transporting anywhere. Right. I kind of like that. You want me to go down where? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And they do that a little bit in the comics, too, of, sure. of, of the reboot. Anyway. All right, so, so I like
0: the uh, – back to the story. I like the alien design. I thought it it was actually pretty cool, very different, but also looked like it could have existed back in the 60s in the show. Yeah, which is good. I like that. And uh, I thought that Spock just pulling this giant rope out of his belt, let's just say, uh, was a little far-fetched.
1: <laughs> oh, when they were going down the um... – the yeah. shafts and stuff.
0: Yeah, the uh the the invisible turbo lift thing. It was just right. like Spock's Spock's like, "You shouldn't go down there." And, and Pike's just like, hey, it'll be fine. Just give me some of that rope." And then he shows him just just giant rope just coming out of his butt or something. I don't know.
1: Well, <laughs> uh the nice thing about the Pike era is they they got these cool coats. Right. And I like those jackets, whatever. I really like the design of those jackets, and and as you'll recall from the original pilot, they've got like a whole harness kind of thing underneath there. Uh, so you would be more able to like have a little bit more equipment um,
0: right. underneath but. that, but
1: there's probably a limit to that. like And the
0: amount of rope ropes. that he shows. Yeah. That it's is not nearly enough to go all the way down the, the the length of this ship. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like oh, the it's completely ridiculous. Rope.
1: Yeah, and especially when they show that initial shot where Pike is awkwardly placed in a uh, uh, you know a Death Star like uh, shaft. Um, that is deep. That is oh, yeah. way deep. Well, you've
0: seen the outside of the ship, so we're supposed to say this goes all the way down the length of the alien ship. Yeah, which is like what hundred times bigger than the enterprise yeah and spock has that much rope in his well he doesn't pocket. go to the bottom though does he? he says he goes to the very end the end So we don't know where he starts but right. because the ship doesn't have anti-grav and it's only because it's going so fast at a constant speed is that there's any type of gravity that uh that they're sticking to the the floors and then he jumps through this little thing that's supposed to float him down right no, no it didn't make any sense yeah, And plus, I was wondering, where did this come from? They never said anything about the ship having to be a, a a certain speed because that's how the gravity works there. But I guess they were trying to imply that's that's because it's alien from another universe. I don't know. Uh, like I said,
1: there was a lot of this book that was just like, mm, okay. Yeah. And then, of course, what, everybody joined him or they stayed at the top?
0: No, they all just there. He gets down to the bottom and then the next panel, they're all there.
1: Exactly. That's because I was what I'm looking on page twenty-five. And they didn't have ropes. They just, <laughs> they, well, they 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 just cl- they just followed the rope that he established. Right. Maybe I don't
0: know. Why did they even need a rope? They only put the rope on him because in case the, it wasn't really they to go, grab, right. and he just didn't
1: plummet to his death. Everybody else can just like jump down or something. Who knows? Yeah. Mm.
0: I did think the it it looked a, it looked kind of interesting. The whole Jetson style, just tube thing, like Futurama or whatever. Right. But uh but I mean what what would it go would it change directions if you wanted to go up? How does it work?
1: Well, no. I mean, it's it's supposed so to be the, thrust gravity, right? Is well, it supposed to be about thrust this gravity? Little
0: anti-gravity tube thing? It says that it's some sort of like a turbo lift. So, if you're in if you're inside this tube, you slowly go down instead of just plummeting straight down.
1: But what if you wanted to go back up? I don't know. You just you press the up button. <laughs> And then the magic reverses polarity and brings you up. Right. I have no idea.
0: Anyways, I had a hard time reading this one. I'll be honest. I would read like a page and then just like be asleep. (laughs) Oh, man. And then I would wake back up and I would read another page and I would be asleep. And then the next day I'm trying again. So it took me a long time to get through this book, unfortunately. Eh. Yeah. Uh, But there is another story in this book. Shall we move on to that? Or did you have more about the the alien story?
1: Uh, I, I did think it was kind of interesting how, and I think you might have alluded to this, how easily Spock got around the Yorktown shields. So he just made a few calculations and boom, they're in. Right. So, I mean, they didn't use the remote codes to take over the ship. They just... Spock just figured out a way to 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 get around the shields with a few calculations. I thought that was odd. He is Spock. He is Spock.
0: Yeah, and and he was going to be out of the story most of this, so he had to do something early.
1: <laughs> right. Okay.
0: <laughs> Moving on. Uh, just real quick, uh, Margelle Barrett did appear in one episode of Babylon Five. Okay. It was that a goodwill gesture towards from the creators of Star Trek and the creators of Babylon Five, since there was that whole who copied who kind of thing going on at the time yeah so she appeared in the episode uh, point of no return as a psychic widow of the centauri emperor
1: a psychic
0: widow okay yeah i don't know Cool. never saw it but i do think it's weird that i did think it was weird at the time that she was on on babylon 5 right but now i know that there was actually some sort of political motivation kind of cool
1: yeah, that's uh, – that's. I remember there being a big hubbub about people like either you, you – know, you you're one or the other. You can't like both. Right, and the uh, whole
0: thing about Deep Space Nine was a copy of Babylon 5 because the producers of Babylon 5 went to Paramount first to get it made into a show. They right. declined and then shortly after came up with Deep Space Nine, which is kind of a similar story.
1: Right, but different in a lot of ways too. I mean – sure. I mean, really, the only thing in common is space station setting next to the wormhole
0: it. thing or the jump point or whatever they called it in
1: well, no well, the, isn't those the, some... those are yeah jump gates, but yeah, but they're artificial, I mean they could go anywhere i mean it's not ah, like okay. it's not like deep space nine where... where it was a quote naturally occurring wormhole, which wasn't, but still <laughs> um yeah those. In Babylon Five, you got between big distances with through jump gates. Right, it's basically the made. railroad
0: station. Right, it's 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 analogous to the westerns. Right, where the town was wherever the the railroad stopped, and that's where you would build your your community around this uh, railroad station because that's well, where all the goods came in and
1: all the goods left. So it's the same thing, it's, but in space. Right, but in this case, with Babylon Five. They built Babylon 5 in neutral space to be a place where uh, the different warring factions could come together. Because up until then, they really didn't mix unless they were at war with each other as much. Oh, I got you. So it was supposed to be like a diplomatic and trade kind of thing that hadn't been done before. So they picked where it goes very specifically. And then they built the station and they, you know, put a installed a jump gate. Gotcha. So, and then... And then Deep Space Night was different. So, sure. I mean, both set on space stations. Both started the same season, so that was kind of odd. But other than that, that's the beginning end of the similarities.
0: Cool. All right. Ready now? Let's do it. All right. So the next uh, little backup story is called Memorium, And uh, it was also by John Byrne, obviously. Uh, so let's see. The um, – The events of this movie, I think, take place shortly before Star Trek The Motion Picture because Spock's in his um, monk attire and he's traveling the wastelands of Vulcan. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's out in the desert and he's being called by something. Um, We find out – at first I was thinking, oh, it's V'ger because they're doing this whole him being called by V'ger thing. But come to find out, he finds a cave and uh, he finds T'Pring there. She has been calling out towards him because he has part of her Katra, which was given to Spock back when they were betrothed as children. She tells him that she and Stone did not live happily ever after, after the episode of mock Time. And now that he's gone, uh, she's been pulled towards Spock even more. Spock understands and the two of them touch palms and he returns that tiny little bit of her Katra back to her. With that, she herself then vanishes And we see that Spock is actually standing next to an altar or gravesite of some sort for T'Pring. He then departs the cave back into the wilderness, and we get the caption dedicated to Arlene Martell, nineteen thirty-six to two thousand
1: fourteen. The end. Mmm. Nice short one.
0: I really like this story. I did not. I did not catch that she was a ghost. (laughs)
1: <laughs> until the variant. well, yeah. Even uh, though she I,
0: kept talking like un, until death came, until the I mean, she mentions death several times, but I assume it meant
1: Stone died, not not her. Well, yeah. So when she, yeah, when she first that, yeah. So she was talking about how their relationship was up until death. So that was kind of odd. I wasn't expecting that she was dead either. But the whole idea that her Katra is still kind of floating around, kind of like haunting. This this place out in the middle of nowhere or whatever that Spock was drawn to? I thought that was kind of weird. So your betrothed has to release you before your katra can go to wherever? Is that what they're
0: saying? the the is where all the katras are, are stored. But not her full katra w- didn't make it because there was still a little bit of her katra with Spock from back when they were betrothed. So, you know, 99.9999% of her is in the stone along with all the other Vulcans, and there was just this tiny little bit that was still out there. And this story was him being called to release that.
1: Yeah, at least that's what I got. I didn't quite get that. But you have a better – that's a better explanation than I came up with, which is like she has to be released before she can go to heaven or wherever. Um, I didn't get that they were that souls were stored at that location's stones. I mean, yeah,
0: because that, I mean that's in Star Trek three. That was why uh, Sarek came to McCoy because he wanted McCoy to go to Vulcan and and put um, Spock's Katra with with the uh, rest of Vulcan ancestors. And then then that's when you find out that you know McCoy did have his. Katra, and then you found out that maybe there was another spot somewhere and and they did the whole transfer from from McCoy to the the boy but um but yeah i mean that was what Sarek said that in star trek 3 that that's yeah. what happens when when vulcans die they they release their Katra into the i forgot what it's
1: called okay, memory but stone I did,
0: or something like that I, Katra I, stone
1: i remember nothing about any kind of stones okay okay uh, i might be miss mis- well, yeah, I it, but it was th- that could have been a detail that that went right over of, my head.
0: No. Cochlear arc. That's what it's called, right? Something like that.
1: I don't remember ever hearing the turn that term <sighs> I before. I forget but... what it's called. Okay.
0: Cool. I'm not making
1: it up. Well, no, I'm, I'm sure you're not. Pretty sure I'm not. <laughs> it's just a detail of dialogue I just didn't get. So I probably sure I, I probably would have enjoyed the story more if I had uh, remembered all that. Mm. I was. Yeah, so I, I liked it. I,
0: I didn't know that she was dead, but – so that was an extra little twist at the end. It's like, oh, she's dead. Um, so I thought it was good. I, I, this was this is definitely out of the four, my favorite one, and it's only like, six pages long.
1: Right. Yeah, um, I think The Sense of Ghosts was my least favorite. By far. And 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 the triple hunt was my favorite, right. And then uh, maybe the mud one, and then this one was 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 fine. Um, I just I just thought it was throwaway. I I didn't get as much out of meaning out of it than, as you did. Yeah, but but it was you, a nice little tribute to the actress who passed away. Yes, it was, and it was it it was indeed. Um, uh, attribute to her and I did not realize how many things she was in so once I had her name I w- just did a quick look up on IMDB and she had 74 acting credits um, so a lot of activity in the 60s 70s but even later in her career when she was older uh, she was in the, the six million dollar man the man from uncle um, all kinds of things that I never knew I mean, the only thing I remember her from is, you know, Star Trek. That one Star Trek episode. It looks like she was in some uh, some fan movie or something.
0: Oh, the... Uh, of Gods or something like
1: that? Yeah, something like that. Of Gods and Men or whatever.
0: Yeah, I, I think I knew that. She played, like, a Vulcan priestess or something like that.
1: There you go. Yeah, I think I think
0: you're right about that, so... I was kind of right. surprised. So while you were looking that up, I did look up uh,
1: Soulstone I just did a or whatever. For
0: Katra Ark, and and that is what it's called. Okay, cool. Katra Ark is a polychristian vessel used by ancient Vulcans to preserve Katra, the Vulcan's living spirit after death. Yeah, I think it's even in uh, the 2009 movie. But yeah, I that's, don't. That's where they were all at when when it started. When Vulcan started being destroyed and uh, his mom died when she ran out the cage,
1: uh, ran out the the cave. So you're dead, but they keep your Katra in a jar. So why do you do that? Um, I mean, that's just what's the purpose of it. So that I mean, is it supposed to be like a mummy thing? I think it's but, a uh it's their version of the afterlife. Like, you're but, kept uh, in a jar? Well, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily I, a jar, but well, it's stone. I mean, what yeah.
0: I always pictured it as kind of just being part of Vulcan, like like it was not necessarily a, a particular stone that they're all they're all kind of combined in this large stone cave network type thing. Mm. So, I don't know. I don't know. The different movies depict it a little differently every time. But I always kind of pictured it as that it's all one, one thing, not necessarily like a little urn that this, this has my Katra and this one is your Katra. Well, it's yeah. Like we're all together. We're all in a, the, in a stone. Yeah, we're all in, you know, the Katra arc, which is basically Vulcan heaven. I don't know. That's the way I always kind of pictured it.
1: So before somebody figured out to build a, a Katra arc, what happened to your Katra? it just just disappeared huh
0: and it wasn't until uh
1: suric or whatever i
0: figured it all out when he when he brought up the logic thing i don't know (laughs) it's all made up (laughs) i just just, remember reading it i just remember reading it in different books and stuff and and i couldn't remember the specifics but which is why i like that book cool all right so real quick i i I mean I didn't read this story, but it does have a little preview for the next issue, which is called Resistance, and um, they're on like the uh, second page of actual story. There's a, a, an, a gentleman with a goatee kind of on uh, several pa- on several panels, and I don't know this for a fact, but I did go back and look, and I think that's John Byrne. John Byrne? Yeah. <laughs> John Byrne normally has a full beard, but when I'm looking at his eyes and stuff and I'm like, oh, my God,
1: I think that's John Byrne. Right. So uh, – and, and I'm only I, – I, I'm not like a huge John Byrne fan. I, I'm definitely not as up on it as you are. But I'm used to him being a younger man. But, of course, by now – well, of course he's older. So seeing him with the gray hair and everything, thinning hair and everything, it's like, oh, boy, I guess he is <laughs> – if that is him. He's getting right. old like everybody else.
0: Well, he's been he's been in the comic business since a long time. The '60s, right? I mean, he he was pretty instrumental 60s? in wow. yeah, Spider-Man and stuff like that from the beginning. Not from the beginning, Wait, but yet? early really? on '70s. Yeah,
1: I thought he was more like an '80s guy. Uh, '70s, uh, '80s
0: was when he was really huge. But he his he has stuff from the '70s at least. Wow. Yeah, but the '80s was when he, you know, he kind of redefined what spider-man was and then he went to dc and redefined what superman was but he also had a x-men run and everything else he's been yeah he's been a lot of things amazing all right so uh next week we'll be back we're gonna go ahead and stick with new visions uh we'll do issues number six and seven cool okay okay so hopefully they're better than this i mean i hate i hate to not like these because on one hand i really like them because of what they are but just this, this last story just didn't get me hmm.
1: invested. Right. Well, um, right. Yeah, so, somewhere better than others. Right. Inconsistent. Right. All right, Ken. Well, thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Oh, thank you, Donovan. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.